Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. One, one pitch. Fastball pulled and Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Adam, Scott, Heath, and Chris. We are beginning our first of the middle infield previews. We'll do shortstop later this week. Today, we're talking second base. Previewing a pretty interesting position, and your, your approach to second base really might depend on how much you like Jose Altuve. You can get him for a little bit of a discount this year. I am Adam Azer. He is Scott White. What's up, Scott White? Adam, we were a little too early with the podcast. A little bit. Just a little too early. Yeah. We missed the biggest news of the offseason so far. Right? That would be the biggest. Oh, yeah. I'd say so. Machado finally signing it. It'll probably be topped by Bryce Harper. but Which will probably happen in like five minutes after we record the show. Um. It's too bad. But this is so here's the deal. This is the second base preview. We do have to talk about Manny Machado and Carlos Martinez. Also big news there. Um and we'll we'll get to second base in just a few minutes. So if you're listening, if you're maybe going back in time to listen to this preview, um, you know, a lot of people do that when they're ready to start drafting. They go back, they listen to the previews. We hope they're sort of evergreen. You can skip ahead a little bit. And always, for all of you listeners that don't know, if you don't read the descriptions every day, I put time codes in the description. They are, you know, mostly accurate. They're not uh, exactly precise for for various reasons I won't get into. But I put time codes to help you out with some topics throughout the show. So I'll put that in uh, when we start talking about second base. Let's just uh, give your brief analysis of Manny Machado, Scott, going to San Diego. What do you think? I don't think it's so bad, really. San Diego still has a reputation for being a great place to pitch. It, it's it's since they moved the. Th- in a few years ago it's it's become not so bad i mean it slightly favors pitching but it's not one of the league's outliers it's it's actually a pretty similar environment to where he was playing with the dodgers uh and in theory he machado seems like the sort of player whose skill set would translate anywhere um it is worth noting that during his time with the orioles his numbers were always better at home baltimore's of course a favorite place fa- uh, uh hitter friendly place and um with the dodgers machado's numbers weren't as good either so that's not something you like to see but again i i think the talent should play anywhere and i'm not really downgrading him with this news in fact i saw a note from al melchior our friend yes, al melchior i read on his Twitter. article i saw i read his article on the athletic yeah that uh andy fox padre's manager um is known for sending runners pretty yes. often. So we could see Machado. He had 14 steals and 16 attempts last year. We could see him get getting back to being a 20-steal guy, potentially. I don't think his name is Andy Fox. He's sly like a fox. Andy Green. Andy Green is uh, yeah. the Padres manager. Uh, Andy that Fox could help. Was, a, was an infielder in the 90s, I believe. But fair enough. So Andy Green. So... Yeah, I'll be a, I'll be a little bit more pessimistic, I guess. I'll sound the alarms a little bit. Um, let me just look up Manny Machado's average draft position. By the way, he he is going to play shortstop, right? That's that's the deal. He wants to play shortstop. Uh, I would I would guess he ends up at third base since Fernando Tatis Jr., Padres' top prospect, due mid season. He's a shortstop. Uh, it's possible. You know there there are, there are scouting reports that suggest Tatis may have to move off shortstop eventually, but I I, w- I would guess that's not what happens here. I would guess Machado okay, I, plays third base, and uh, Luis Arias holds down shortstop until Tatis is ready, and then Arias moves over to second. Oh, all right, okay. I'm sorry. So I read it wrong because originally that's what I thought, and then I, I I thought I had read that he was going to play shortstop, but no, I think you're right that um, Machado will be a third baseman. He'll be eligible in both spots. Uh, right now, he's you know he's about 12th off the board, 11th or 12th off the board in Fantasy Pros. A totally justifiable ADP for a guy who hits more than 30 home runs every year. But, I mean, like the, the, the career numbers are what they are, right? Career at home, 887 OPS. Career road, 761 OPS. Um, at Dodger Stadium, he did have an 874 OPS. But I just want to bring up one other thing. It's not just leaving Baltimore. It's leaving Yankee Stadium, 
leaving Fenway Park, which I know I think is bad for home runs for for righties, but I think it's still a good hitter's park. Uh, probably doubles, obviously. Um, leaving Toronto and going to a division that might have one hitter's park. Granted, it's the best, but, you know, Chase Field's no longer a hitter's park. I don't, I don't think. I don't know if we have enough data yet, but I don't know. It's, I think it's a big downgrade. And, and Al, in his column in The Athletic, actually did talk about also um, Machado's numbers both in Yankee Stadium and Rogers Center. So you still have him basically where you had him before. He's, what, your number two shortstop? No, he's number three, number three. after Lindor and Bregman. Okay. Um, and I want to take him as high as 12th. I, I may have had him ranked lower than the consensus to begin with. He's more of a early to mid-second rounder to me. Okay. And uh, we have a shortstop preview coming up in just a few days, so there's so we can definitely get to Machado, and we have a show tomorrow where we can talk about it. But you don't? do you think it impacts Tatis? Apparently not. Do you think it impacts anyone else, like Will Myers? Um, who is anyone hurt from this? Arias, is he hurt by this? Uh, well, I mean, it, it could, it could change the timetable for Tatis slightly, especially since Ian Kinsler is somebody who's good enough to start. I mean, if he's healthy, he's good enough to start. And, uh, now he would be going to the bench once Tatis is ready. Uh, I would, I mean, it might, it might hurt the outfielder somewhat since there's such a playing time crunch there. Will Myers, there was always the the possibility he could move back to third base, even though it's something he said he wasn't going to do anymore. You know, plans could change as, as needs develop, and now that's not really an option. Uh, but for the most part, I think it helps it helps the other Padres because now there's a big bat in the middle of the lineup. And you think Arias goes from short to second when Tatis gets called up? Yes. Okay. All right, Scott, uh, more on Machado later in the week. Miguel Sano has a cut on his foot. Don't think that's a big deal. But Carlos Martinez is being shut down for two weeks, and he had shoulder issues last year. They seem concerned. This is a pretty big deal. Did you drop um, Carlos Martinez real quick? I'll look at it again to make sure I don't want to drop him anymore. I already ranked him with a fair amount of skepticism. I I believe uh, this could be the excuse they need to have him in the bullpen to begin the year. It, it already, they are already talking him up as a reliever before this. And, uh, oh, look, he's not ready to uh, to pitch five innings yet. So let's let's just have him work out of the bullpen for a while, and then he gets stuck there all year. All year. That, that seems like a feasible possibility to me. All right, well, again, we'll talk about that uh, tomorrow. And Seattle interested in catcher Martin Maldonado. And now it's time for second base. Woo! All right, the position preview begins. So, overall thoughts on second base, Scott? How is it this year? It is the weakest position in fantasy, <laughs> unless you count catcher as a position. Which we don't, because catchers don't count, and which so no, some whatever. people like it's to start just, two of them in the double leagues. It's ever. an obligation, really. <laughs> Not a position. Uh, but no, second base is weak. It is lacking in high-end options and... Uh, not many assurances after that. There's a fair amount of upside in the middle to late stages of the draft at second base, but n- not as many bankable options as around the rest of the infield. Glaber Torres, for example, is Scott's seventh-ranked second baseman and twelfth short-ranked shortstop. Uh, Heath also has Torres twelfth at shortstop and uh, ninth at second base. So you can sort of see just the difference in the position there. And I believe that second base, Scott, has to start out with a lengthy-ish discussion about Jose Altuve. So let's say Jose Altuve was coming off a typical Jose Altuve year. But Mike Trout, uh, Mookie Betts, Jose Ramirez were also coming off of 2018. We don't have to try too hard to imagine that because it's actually happening. Would Altuve be your fourth pick in the draft if he were coming off a, a typical Jose Altuve year? Yeah, now that Lindor is hurt, yeah, um, he would. Pr- well, he'd probably be third ahead I mean, of he who? was. He was right there with Trout and Betts the previous two years. You put him so ahead of Jose He's probably Ramirez? even had him ahead of Jose Ramirez. Wow. All right, okay, so that's good to know. And as it stands now, you know if he's a, if he's there like seventh, 
we've been jumping on Altuve. When's the earliest you'd take Jose Altuve? Now it's fifth. So <laughs> I don't know. I, I am so optimistic about him bouncing back, uh, knowing that he was playing most the last season with a fractured kneecap, I think really changes your perspective on the numbers he put up. You know, he's only 28. And the batter ball profile is pretty much what it always is. He ran a lot less. He hit fewer homers. And, you know, in the second half especially, the batting average declined. Uh, that all seems attributable to that injury. And there's no reason to believe he's declining otherwise. So I, I think... Given how how thin the position is, given the scarcity of stolen bases, how hard batting averages to fill uh, later in drafts, he still seems like a pretty good all-around pick once the elite trio of Trout bets, the super elite trio of Trout's bets and Ramirez is off the board. I guess he's not a, he's not a 50-steal guy anymore. He's like a 30-steal guy. And he had two straight seasons where he hit 24 home runs. Um, I think those are his only seasons with more than, like, 15 home runs. But, yeah, I, I expect him to do that, I guess. So, uh, yeah, I, I like I like Altuve a lot. So you're just taking you're taking Arenado ahead of him and the, and the big Yeah, three. just because Arenado, there's, there's nothing to worry about with Arenado. He's so safe. He's always, you know, he's always... Right there at the top of the NL and home runs and RBI, good batting average too. There, it's very little can go wrong for him at Coors Field. All right, all right. Then you know I don't think we need to spend that much time on Jose Altuve because Scott's quite confident in a bounce back and is willing to take him with the fifth overall pick. And that would really help you because the next second baseman off the board is Javier Baez, who we're calling a huge bust. And then we get to Whit Merrifield, Ozzy Albies, Glaber Torres. Baez a bust at 16th overall. Not necessarily just a bad player or anything like that, but. Too high. Uh, we'll get into ADP later. Here are some stats about second base. This is a position that you can get some steals in for sure. There were three second base eligible players who stole 30 or more bases last year. Um, that's more than any position other than outfield. Those three were Whit Merrifield, Jonathan Villar, and D. Gordon. Uh, g- going to give you two stats. You tell me if they matter to you. Javier Baez, he stole 21 bases last year. Only three of them after the All-Star break. Whereas Whit Merrifield stole 45 bases last year, 28 of them in 67 games after the All-Star break. So very different. Baez stopped running. Merrifield ran like crazy after the <laughs> break. Does that mean anything to you? Uh, other than maybe shedding light on what the Royals' plan is going to be for this year, that's that's mostly what it means to me, the Merrifield stat. Um, I mean, the Royals are, to generate any offense, they're going to have to run like crazy, and they have the personnel to do that. But as far as second base, those two players in particular goes, I'm not that alarmed by the three steals for Baez, but it does raise a point I brought up in a column I wrote just yesterday about why Alberto Montesi is, is so valuable to me. Um, and it kind of breaks down. Uh, the scarcity of steals and, and the problems with taking certain approaches to that stat. There are a number of players who seem like they have a pretty good shot at 20 steals. Javier Baez among them. But when you're when the upside is 20, it doesn't take much going wrong for the guy to become basically useless in the category. Right. It doesn't it doesn't take much changing in terms of the way the Cubs allow him to run in terms of how much he decides to run. Um, he goes from, OK, 20 steals probably helping you to really no help at all. And that's what happened in the second half last year. I think the chances are better than not. He's a 15 to 20 steal guy again. He was two years ago as well. But. When you're when you're dealing with such small totals, uh, it it doesn't take much to just ruin the whole thing. You're talking about Javier Baez here. Modesty yeah. could be I mean, second base eligible in some leagues, by the way. Not in ours. Um, but who is second base eligible? Mondesi. He's not in our in CBS, yeah. but he could be yeah. in uh, pro- maybe Yahoo. Because um, Fantasy Pros does have him both second base and shortstop eligible. Yeah, and, and I think that second base is 
There are two players that might give you a reason to avoid Mondesi. 63rd overall is his ADP, 64th. And that's D. Gordon and Jonathan VR. D. Gordon, first 34 games before injuring his toe. He batted 353 and he stole 15 bases in 34 games. He was D. Gordon. I mean, he was a better version of D. Gordon, but he was healthy. He was good. VR, I mean, I don't really see myself drafting VR because I think he's crap, but he, he's <laughs> going to be one of the best hitters on Baltimore. He's going to lead off or bat second, probably. He's going 104th overall. D. Gordon's going 99th overall. Um, you know, I, I don't know that VR is getting benched at any point because the Orioles are so bad. He could steal 50 bases. So, I don't know. I think you've got to really like Mondesi if you're willing to take him 40 picks ahead of Gordon in VR. Well, I don't want to go far too too far down the, the Mondesi path because obviously we're going to talk about him a lot of shortstop. Mm-hmm. Um, but to address the VR situation, because there, a lot of people do make that comparison, I think the, there's a big difference there in terms of downside and especially in terms of uh, job security because VR is, um, you know, he's not a building block for the Orioles. He's a space holder. They don't have anything better right now. Any other team, he wouldn't be guaranteed a starting job. And by the way, since he is a space holder, there's a good chance he does get traded to another team at some point this season, not to fill a starting job. But like Mondesi, he does have a little bit of power, not quite as much as Mondesi, but some, which I I think is, it it makes it a little easier to um, justify that steals investment when you know he's not hurting you in that category that you need so much of just to keep pace with the the competition home runs. I think... Where, where, where's his ADP? Where does his Mondesi? Where does VR going on average? Oh, VR. Mondesi's going 64th, D. Gordon 99th, and VR 104th. Yeah, so VR, obviously, where people got burned by him two years ago coming off that great year in Milwaukee in 2016. They were taking him like the third round the next year, and it was a big disappointment, in part because he lost his job. 104th overall. You know, that comes out to the ninth round in a 12-team league. That's not so bad. Like, obviously, if he blows up on you again, if he gets traded, whatever else, it's not going to ruin you. So I don't think VR is a bad pick, but I don't feel as comfortable making him my primary steal source um, as I do somebody like Mondesi or somebody like Gordon. Well, yeah, like, what about D. Gordon? Five picks ahead of Jonathan VR. And he obviously struggled last year. He batted 268. He only stole 30 bases in 141 games. But like I said, before he hurt his toe, he was off and running 15 steals in 34 games and a 353 batting average, which, of course, I don't expect. Yeah. Uh, I'm hopeful of a bounce back for Gordon. It helps that he, at when he's himself, he contributes in batting average as well. But he is a zero in terms of power. And that's something that we need to account for with these steal specialists, too. It doesn't take as many steals to compete in the categories it used to since they are so hard to find. You need them, and it's hard to find players who deliver you anything worthwhile. Um, So there is a scarcity there that needs to be considered, but you don't actually need that many. Home runs, though, as plentiful as they are, you need to constantly be feeding that category or you risk falling behind. And every lineup spot you devote to a zero in the home run category uh, it, it it could cause a problem for you. So you're you're taking a serious hit there, investing in somebody like Gordon. It I might mean, be what you have to do. Like you say but that, it but limits he, your options. He's going four rounds later than he used to go. You know, like I, I mm-hmm. get what you're saying, but you have to see how D Gordon fits in with your team. And if you don't have a lot of power, if your first round pick was Jose Altuve, then you're not drafting D Gordon. It doesn't make yeah. any sense. They're redundant. Well, look. Our- our most recent mock draft, I took D. Gordon. Yeah, when? So, um, well, it was a 15-team league, uh, so it was, uh, I think it was the first pick of round six. Okay. Which right. translates to about, what, 90th? Uh, um, I don't know. I don't know, Scott. I used yeah, to be better at right. math. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, 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 that's true, too. But I don't like. I don't want to go into a draft saying I'm just going to get D Gordon and 
all my steals problems will be met. I knew because then it, it forces me to take a certain path with the rest of my picks that I'd rather not be forced into. If it turns out when the time comes to pick him that he makes the most sense, then he makes the most sense. I knew Scott was wrong. First pick of round six is 76 overall. Last pick of round six is 90th overall. Oh, there you go. Making me feel yep. dumb. All right, some more stats you knew about I was wrong. second base. Daniel Murphy and Travis Shaw coming off, you know, kind of down years. They both were dreadful against lefties. They both slugged below 300 against lefties. Daniel Murphy and Travis Shaw. Does Daniel Murphy have a history against uh, lefties of being bad? Before he broke out, yeah, he did. Does Travis Shaw? Well, he's up and down. His op- his uh, OPS uh, against lefties in four seasons, 975, 599, 776, and 599. So uh, it's uh, this is something I'm just noticing, and maybe I'm the only one who cares about it, but sometimes lefties have bad seasons against lefties, and it affects their overall numbers, like we talked about with Rizzo last year, Votto last year, Carpenter in 2017, but that doesn't mean they can't bounce back in that category. It's another thing I'm noticing. Another stat, Glaber Torres and Ozzy Albies are 22 years old. They are younger than Nick Senzel. Luis Arias is younger than them all, but I think that's interesting. Torres and Albies, they could be two second basemen that really swing drafts because I see big potential both ways, up and down, and they're going in the fifth round. Um, They are the fifth and sixth second basemen off the board, Albies and Torres, respectively. A couple of injuries to know about. Scooter Jeanette was playing hurt last year. He had a shoulder thing. Brian Dozier said a knee injury affected his mechanics in 2018. Um. Uh, oh, okay. Here's one. Cesar Hernandez led all second baseman in plate appearances last year, and he might bat eighth. So they've added Segura. Um, they've added. They they probably will add Bryce Harper. They've added McCutcheon. I think Cesar Hernandez's fantasy value is going to take a huge hit. Uh, because he was batting leadoff and led all second baseman in plate appearances. Although I just read this morning, you were you were mentioning second basemen who were impacted by injuries last year. Um, his foot was messed up in the second half. He said he couldn't really put weight on it, and his batting average plummeted. He's always been such a reliable source of batting average. Hit two ninety four in back to back years prior to last year, and uh, yeah, uh, I, yeah. But you know what? He only hit two sixty nine in his first fifty five games, and then two forty four in the last one oh six. And it, I just think he had a different approach because Hernandez hit fifteen home runs, which was a lot more than usual, and he started hitting more fly balls. So, uh, well, he hit yeah. in the first half last year. He reached base at a three eighty clip, stole fourteen bases in sixteen attempts. Um, yeah, I, it depends a lot on how the batting order shapes out, but if especially knowing Gabe Kapler is his manager and how much he values numbers. If Cesar Hernandez gets back to being a 370, 375 on base guy, there's no way he stays in the eighth spot. There's no way. They might have a great lineup, though. Like, where is he going to yeah, hit? Yeah, but you, you're not, you're not going to put your best on base guy or one of your best on base guys right in front of the pitcher. I mean, Gene Segura. Then he'd bat, then honestly, then he'd bat, he'd bat ninth. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, it's something to keep an eye on because Hernandez is—he's not a great hitter, but he played appearance the hell out of it last year, and he finished as like a top seven second baseman. And last that uh, Tampa Bay second baseman Brandon Lau had a two seventeen ISO in two thousand eighteen, pretty good. He might show up when we talk about sleepers. Colorado second baseman Garrett Hampson—he's uh, not second base eligible yet. He will gain second base eligibility. Probably in the first week of the season, Garrett Hampson will be another guy that we talk about as a sleeper. So let's get to that portion of it. Some strategy talks, some sleepers, some breakouts and busts. Uh, what is your overall second base strategy, Scott? Assuming I don't get Altuve. Uh, my second base strategy is to... Usually I wait until about round six um, of a 12-team league. Scooter Jeanette is off to the one I take then. It's especially useful if it's a roto league and I need help in batting average. Great choice. If Daniel Murphy is still around at that stage, also a great, perhaps even a better choice for batting average, but there are, of course, injury risks there. So it it usually ends up being one of those two. Uh, If, for some reason, I happen to miss out on both, I think Robinson Cano is being underrated as a guy who... um, Still has great plate discipline. Still plays a ton. He has been 
I mean, I know he only played what 80 games last year because he was suspended for 80 games. Right. Yep. But he has a very durable track record, Cano, and for um, you know, for the way his power declined with the Mariners, he he doesn't show many signs of decline otherwise. He's another guy who had a bad season versus lefties in 2017, but he bounced back in 2018, so it could be a, a bit of a fluid stat. And yeah, Cano, I mean, he, more or less, in points leagues, he basically performs like a top five second baseman just about every year. Five seasons with Seattle. Like, let's say you take last season for Cano and you give him, you double his fantasy points, you give him 160 games, which isn't out of the question for him. You're talking four out of five seasons where he would have been a top five second baseman in points leagues. Not quite as good in Roto, more like top seven, top eight. So you're right. Cano is a good fallback option. You have him ninth. I've noticed I've been taking Brian Dozier a lot. He's someone, someone that we talked about. Like, cause, I mean, we're talking about if I'm like the last guy to draft a, a second baseman, he might be, he might be the 12th guy off the board. You have him 10th. Where does Heath have Dozier? That's kind tenth. of the cutoff between tenth. guys I trust and guys I don't trust, though. I mean, last year yeah, we I don't, taking, I don't love it, but he's we not were a taking bad Dozier at like the round two, three turn last year. So, I mean, it could end up being a a brilliant pick, but uh, it don't really understand what went so wrong for him last year. The batted ball profile basically the same. I both think he years. was hurt. I, I think he said it. I mean, he said the knee injury affected his mechanics. And I'm not saying Scott that I'm drafting Brian Dozier like I'm going into the draft going, yeah, I'm just going to wait at second base to draft Brian Dozier, but. If everybody's got their second baseman and I'm screwed, I'm happy to take Brian Dozier. You know, in the double-digit rounds, um, just going to look at ADP real quick. He's going uh, 138th overall. I don't know if he makes it quite that long in our drafts, but we're talking round 10 or later for Dozier, and I'm okay with that. It, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd feel better about it from a, as like a, my middle infielder than my starting second baseman, especially knowing... It's not going to be such an easy position to fill off the waiver wire should the need present itself. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely bounce back appeal there. Uh, another thing to keep in mind, though, the danger of taking him as your primary second baseman is even when he was great, he wasn't great until late. Yeah. You know, yeah, August, September, so when he did most of his damage. If if he follows that pattern again, coming off the year he just had. You're going to assume mid-May that he's toast, right? Like he could yeah, be you're going to drop him. <laughs> you're going to yeah, drop him exactly. So yeah. that's that's a frustration too with uh, with Dozier. But I do want to say, just generally talking about second base, I've mentioned a few times in the lead up to this podcast how uh, you know I'm kind of back on board with position scarcity. I think the tiers approach has. Uh, more validity again this year than maybe it has a couple years. And second base is probably the main reason why. It just seems it just seems like uh, the scarcity is more evident there than the other infield spots. First base to a degree as well. So, you know, that's that's what impacts my approach. We talked about specific players regarding my approach to second base. You know, if you're not into those players, fine. But you need to consider uh, where the drop-offs are at the position and capitalize on those before it happens. And if we're looking, just talking about strategy, obviously we're not shy to pull the trigger on Jose Altuve, who's, you know, in most of your drafts, I don't know that he's going to go top seven, but we're fine taking him. Scott said fifth. So yeah, what is his ADP on fantasy pros is like second round, right? It's even behind Baez. It's just ahead of Baez. It's 13th, 13th overall. Yeah. Obviously, if you're picking fifth where I would take him. And he goes thirteenth. You're not going to have a shot at him otherwise. So it's right. it's worth a reach, a reach to me, given position and category scarcity that he fills so capably. And then and then you're you know based on ADP, nobody on this podcast is going to have any Javier Baez. But when is the earliest you would take Javier Baez, who's second for you? And then when would you take Whit Merrifield, who's third for you? I would take both in round. Three, uh, certainly in a roto league, might drop to round four in a points league because Baez's poor plate discipline doesn't hold up as well there, and Merrifield's steals aren't so necessary there. And obviously, uh, 
pitchers. That's a big round three is a big round for starting pitchers in a points league. But in Roto, I would look, I would at, at least look at both in round three. I might still be trying to fill pitchers there and pass both over. Uh, but it's if if they're there in round three, particularly late round three for Merrifield, I'll consider them. Yeah, pitcher. No later than round four for me to take my first pitcher if I can get someone in the Bauer Severino range. You know that's what you're you're trying to balance if you're looking at guys like uh, Baez in our drafts, uh, Merrifield in other drafts. He's going 34th overall. Um, all right, Scott. So are there any second basemen that are better in points leagues than Roto? I think Cano for sure. Roto is easy. I mean, Gordon's better in Roto. Merrifield's probably going to be better in Roto. Bai is going to be better in Roto because his plate discipline's so bad. Scott just said that. Um, in points leagues, are there any second basemen that, other than Cano, that really jump out? Oh, Murphy, I'd say. Yeah, Murphy has great plate discipline, but the if things go right for Murphy, his high contact rate, his line drive hitting, all fields approach. Uh, it's a, he's already a guy who tends toward a high BABIP, and you put him in the high BABIP environment of Coors Field. Uh, it's not outside the realm of possibility he hits 350, 360. You know, yeah. staying healthy, everything breaking right for him. It's it's on the table. So obviously that would be huge roto benefit for Murphy too. But yeah, he has great plate discipline. We tend to think of that as being more of a points league asset. I also, also he doubles. Want to mention, I, I just want to say he doubled. That's I mean, it's like the doubles for Murphy have been sort of what have pulled him up in points leagues and the plate discipline. Yes, go ahead. Who else okay, do you want to mention? Too. I do want to mention uh, among in points leagues because you mentioned Murphy better. Uh, we both mentioned Baez and, and Merrifield better in Roto. They were the top two in points leagues last year and, and by a pretty substantial margin. Uh, you know, I'll, a lot of that obviously had to do with Altuve's issue, but um, don't want to don't want to underestimate them in points leagues. Steals are more necessary in roto leagues, so you kind of pay up for them in that format. But that doesn't mean they don't still add up to a lot of points in points leagues. Others who are uh, best suited for one format or another. I mean, to a degree, you could say Altuve is, since the category specialization is a big part of why I'm willing to reach for him at fifth overall. Um, you know, I might be more inclined to go with like a Max Scherzer in a Roto League, but factor in the position he's, position scarcity as well, not necessarily. Rugnet Odor, I would say, is much better in Roto because yeah. he doesn't walk at all. VR, I'm not that interested in him in a points league. Yeah, scope to scope in points leagues, no thanks. Yep. All right, I think that, that concludes that. And I, I want to give a little bit of a hat tip to Rugnet Odor. He did walk a little bit more last year. I think he had an 8% walk rate up from like 4.5% or something. Maybe getting a little bit better, but you know his stats weren't that good at the end of the day. Sleepers, breakouts, and busts, and an ADP review are coming back right after this. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, among others. They'll do all of that so you can do literally anything else. You have better things to do with your free time than focus on your lawn care. Let True Green take care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn while you take care of everything else on your to-do list. You can trust True Green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise which gives you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. Think about how hard it is to manage our fantasy baseball teams. You need all the time you can get to put in waiver wire claims, fab bids, send out trades, and set your lineups. You'll have that extra time when True Green is taking care of your lawn. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. 
That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. All right, Scott, let's do your favorite sleeper or sleepers first baseman since it's only you on today's show if you want to give some names here. I have some names I can contribute as well. Who's, uh, who is your favorite sleeper first baseman? And feel free to give multiple answers. You mean second baseman, right? Yes, I do mean second baseman. You do mean second I baseman. I do mean second baseman. Yes. <laughs> um, I kind of laid out the case already for Daniel Murphy. I mean, I can't really call him a breakout, but... I do think most people aren't going to factor in just how much upside he has at Coors Field. So I'll give him a quick mention here as a sleeper. But if we want to look deeper in the rankings, I do think Brandon Lau has the potential to make a significant contribution if he can find the at-bat somewhere. He's working out at first base this spring where the Rays don't have a clear answer. Uh, He's played some outfield, played second base, obviously. But the Rays are kind of crowded at those spots. I'm hoping he can carve out enough playing time just kind of all over that he's basically an everyday player because the power production he showed both in the minors and the majors was significant. I mean, we're talking a potential 30 homer guy who, by the way, also gets on base a lot. Also really good plate discipline. Uh, I, I think there's top five upside at a weak position like second base. And, you know, it, you look at the overall line he put up in the majors, hit only 233, uh, despite a decent home run total. But that was after an 0-for-19 start. It was kind of an Alex Bregman situation. Remember how yeah. he began his career? Oh, yeah. Uh, over his final 37 games, 110 at-bats, Lau hit 273 with an 884 OPS. Yeah, so that's good cool. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's a matter of playing time for him, and he's not really even being drafted in standard mixed leagues since he doesn't show up at the top of the depth chart currently. Uh, Nick Senzel is currently eligible at second base. If he finds his way into the red lineup, it'll probably be center field, but he's a top prospect, but just a great all-around hitter. Um, oh, cool. I mean, 314, 395, 13 career slash line in the minors with some steals. And good plate mm-hmm. discipline. I mean, he looks like a really good player and will be, like Scott said, second base and, and pretty quickly outfield eligible. We're hoping Senzel wins that job. They'd still have a little bit of a log jam in the outfield, right? Yeah, I don't think Shebler's going to get completely pushed out. And there's a situation there with Matt Kemp and Jesse Winker in left field once Winker's ready to go. And there's Puig. Puig, of course. I, I feel like Puig, and if he's part of the lineup, Senzel would be fixtures, and the rest would have to duke it out. And ultimately, I think like Winker's going to be a fixture too, but it might take a while to get there. Right. But in the case of Lau and, and Senzel, I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to justify in a standard mixed league because you know they're probably not going to have full-time at-bats right away. Right, you, yeah, but you put them on your bench, take a shot. So you'd rather right. take a shot on them than a guy like Cattell Marte? Well, Cattell Marte is pretty interesting, too. Yeah, I think he, yeah, that's why I brought him up. <laughs> yes. I, I, I don't think the upside is as high, but he showed some upside last year. Really power, like I never expected to see him provide. The final four months, June through September, he hit 285 with 13 homers and an 877 OPS. Didn't strike out much, walked a lot. Yeah, I I see him as a sleeper, uh, particularly in like a deeper league where, you know, you just want to wait and wait and wait to fill that middle infield spot. And then you could end up getting a guy who ends up producing like a mid rounder. Yeah. So I, I actually think the late round gambles, obviously, they're not all going to be good. But um, Joey, uh, excuse me, uh, st- who, who was the first guy you said? Um Brandon, Brandon Lau. Lau, sorry, Brandon Lau, Nick Senzel, Cattell Marte, 
And then, like, an old dude like Azdrubal Cabrera. And then Jed Lowry, who's actually going after Azdrubal Cabrera, who I took, um, I think, as my starting second baseman in the 15-team league we did yesterday. And Heath has as a sleeper. And he's probably going to bat second for the Mets, who should have a pretty good lineup, uh, at least above average. Like, these guys are not bad. I, I don't know that I don't know how many of them are winning your league. But you can get you can get by with them. They're not terrible. Um, Lowry's very steady, and uh, we haven't mentioned Chris Taylor. Doesn't go quite as late, but he goes pretty late. So there's that. Uh, how about breakouts? Um, oh, Garrett Hampson's another guy. He's not second base eligible yet, but yeah, no. So, if... but I do want to include him. Um, where would you rank him? Is he ahead of all those guys we mentioned? Lau, Senzel, etc., Marte. Yeah, I think he has to be. He has the best chance of being a starter from the get-go. And certainly in Roto Leagues, he's somebody who can meet the steel scarcity. That's the main thing he did in the minors was run. Uh, You know, hit a lot of triples, a lot of doubles. And he could still do that in course field with those big outfielders. With those big outfields. Ball gets by an outfielder, goes to the wall. He could run a long way, gets on base a lot. And obviously, Coors Field, it's a great place to hit, a great place for batting average. So if he can secure the starting second base job, he has he has huge sleeper appeal. And uh, probably probably not just for the steals in Roto. I mean, it could be he could end up being like a better version of Adam Eaton, you know, healthy Adam Eaton, I'm saying when back when we used to consider him a must start in points leagues. Right. You're not going to get a ton of power from Hampson, but batting average and speed. You can and a lot of extra base hits. I would, you know, not a lot of home runs, not but a lot of, a lot of extra runs. base hits. Right. All right. Who's your favorite breakout second baseman? Breakout second baseman. This is a hard one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we kind of lumped them all together there with the sleepers, I think. Well, I, uh, I, I'll I, throw another name in there. Okay. And it's another one with playing time concerns. Uh, Jeff McNeil. Okay. Yeah, I'm glad we mentioned him. We had to. Yeah, that's primarily what primarily what he played last year after getting called up by the by the Mets was second base. It sounds like they're going to try him in left field after adding both Cano and Lowry this off season. And they don't have a great option to left field otherwise. Assuming they want Brandon Nimmo in center field, uh, you know, it's like Keon Broxton. I don't know. It, it kind of seems like they're leaving left field wide open for Jeff McDeal if he can handle it. And the guy has insane back control. Yeah. Low, low, low strikeout rate. He hit 329 last year in 225 at bats. Uh, didn't hit for much power, only three home runs. But you look at what he did in the minors before getting called up 19 home runs and 339 at bats. So he had a 22 homer season between the majors and the minors. And I he had a, a 3.8% home run to fly ball rate. <laughs> yeah, that's really low. Really that's low. Suspiciously low. Yeah. So I think Jeff McNeil could be, um, I, I don't know, Dan, calling him a poor man's Daniel Murphy might be overstating it, but you see, I see some similarities there. there I got to mention some of the downside with McNeil. He batted mostly second last year. I think he's if he's in the order, he's got at least probably going to start toward the bottom of the order. Um, he had a three fifty nine BABIP with only a thirty point two percent hard contact rate. And a high twenty two points twenty two percent soft contact rate. So whereas I think the home run to fly ball rate was pretty low, three point eight percent, I think the Babbitt was pretty high and he probably got lucky there. Uh so that's just some stuff that's not going in his favor, but he was really good last year. Although so. and let me let me double check to confirm this because it's been a while since I looked into it. He kinda like Murphy does profile for a high-ish Babbitt, but not, not quite the line drive hitter Murphy is, but all fields approach, that helps. Yeah, probably won't have a 359 Babbitt again, but he should be above average. All right, and then give me a bust, and then after that I think we'll talk about some guys and whether or not they're more likely to be a breakout or a bust. Because there are two players that I, I put as both my favorite breakouts and my biggest busts. Um, I'll reveal who they are after you give me your bust. My bust is Javier Baez. Okay. Uh, it's just obviously if if he's who he was last year, then he'll live up to the price tag. But to be who he is last year with the kind of plate discipline he has, strikeout rate, the lack of walks, 
it requires him to do two things. It requires him to have an outlier BABIP, much like the one we were saying was too high for McNeil, and an outlier home run to fly ball rate. He has had he has been a high bat bip guy, but it, it's been so high that it's just unreasonable to expect him to sustain that year after year. And when he didn't have the high home run fly ball rate in previous years, that high bat bip still only led to like a two seventy batting average for bias. So it seems like the buy the batting average could could plummet. And you know, maybe he's like a two fifty hitter this year. It seems possible. And if you know, it's it's just a really it's a real tightrope walk for him to get back to those numbers. Maybe he could do it again, but it's asking a lot because it's asking him to be one of the very best in baseball at two things that we would normally view as unsustainable. And Javier Baez is going just way too early for us, uh, 16th overall. So, yeah, um, we will not be taking him at that value. Scott said he would consider Baez in the third round. The two guys I had as breakouts or busts could go either way were Ozzy Albies and Glaber Torres, and they're both going in round five. So it's Altuve, Baez, Merrifield, Albies, Torres. Earlier I said they were fifth and sixth off the board. They're actually fourth and fifth off the board. Uh, Jose Ramirez is counted as a second baseman on Fantasy Pros, so that's why they're fifth and sixth on Fantasy Pros. But for our purposes, they're fourth and fifth. Albies and Torres, who do you like better? Who's got more upside? Who's got more downside? They're both, like I said, they're both 22 years old. I don't want to judge them too harshly on anything they've done wrong or this early in their careers. Yeah, that's a good point you bring up, and I'll get back to that in a second. I, I prefer Ozzy Albies, and I'm just going to demonstrate with, with points league uh, values because I'm, I'm not sure it makes a huge difference format for them. But Ozzy Albies was three points per game last year. And Glaber Torres was 2.72. Glaber Torres was actually worse than Paul DeYoung on a per-game basis last year, while Ozzy Albies was better than Scooter Jeanette. He was up there with the elites. Um, the point you bring up about them being young is is one I keep bringing up for Al- Albies in particular because his, his production was so front-loaded. I think nine of his home runs came in April, and then he faded as the season went on. Which a lot of people take as a red flag. Fair enough. But to put up the kind of numbers he did at the age he was is pretty pretty close to unprecedented among second basemen. And when you consider the fact he has one of the best contact rates, uh, I think maybe he got a little too power conscious because of that hot start. I think he maybe tried selling out for home runs. I know he was using I I think I remember hearing he was using the heaviest bat of any Braves hitter and he's a little guy. Uh, I I think he needs to really look at that but the the skills are in place for him to be um, an impact player at the position year after year. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of contact, good speed profile. And some power, some power, more power than I think people expected. He just can't sell out for it like he did last year. And the thing so, is with these guys, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead, finish up, my bad. No, go ahead. Go yeah, ahead, no, I, I, the reason, I'm so interested in them, and I don't, I don't think Torres is going this early in our drafts. So I was surprised to see him as a top 60 pick overall. Um, I think that Torres was considered one of the best prospects in baseball, and had, as a rookie, hit 271 with 24 homers, six steals. Uh, it's pretty good in 123 games, 24 homers. He was great at home, not so great on the road, but he's still going to play in Yankee Stadium. Um, I don't know. I, I think the biggest problem for Torres, and the reason why I believe his points per game is lower, uh, one of the biggest reasons, is where he batted in the lineup. Seven games batting third or fourth, 45 games fifth or sixth, 19 games seventh or eighth, and 52 games batting ninth. And that really does hurt. I see him more as like a number six hitter this year maybe number seven, but that is going to hurt Glaber Torres' value. His plate appearances won't be as high as you'd like them to be. Um, yeah. So, I, well, yeah, I, I see taking Albies over him, but I think both of these guys have a real chance, just based on pedigree and early production, to be standouts and players that we're looking at in, like, the third round next year or something like that. Yeah, at the right, at the right price tag, it would, it would be easier to make a positive case for Glaber Torres. I mean, kind of like Albies, he came up, hit for more power than a lot of people thought he was going to and uh, was considered a, 
elite prospect before that. The problem for Torres is that's really all he did was hit for power, and it wasn't enough power in today's environment to make him a true standout. He needs to get that strikeout rate down. Uh, would help if he bat hot, if he hit higher in the order, like you said. I mean the the pieces are in place for him to be an impact player as well. It's just in, in the case of both of these players, Albies and Torres, but especially Torres, it's just it's just too optimistic where you have to take him. And maybe that has to do with the scarcity at second base, but you can wait and take Murphy or Jeanette instead. Yeah, yeah. There's exactly. a good chance they'll be better. Exactly. That's a great point. That's why I feel like Torres should be going with Jeanette. And I mean, I feel like he goes behind Murphy in our drafts. Uh, Jeanette had a bit of a down year in terms of power last year, but, you know, as I keep mentioning, he was playing hurt and he was still a top five second baseman. Batted 310 with 23 home runs. Uh, the year before, he batted 295 with 27 home runs. And then, as Scott mentioned a lot of times last year for Jeanette, even after his four homer game, he played 94 more games after that and had an 860 OPS. So he does look like a, a pretty good player. And yeah, good value. Um, when you compare him to uh, to Glaber Torres. All right, so then I think let's go through ADP um, and uh, see who we have not talked about. And I think also talking about upside and downside. Downside is something you really have to consider because you have to wonder if you can easily replace these guys. Like if you draft Glaber Torres in round five, or let's just say you get him at a little bit of a discount round seven, uh, and then he's a bust, can you go to waivers and pick someone up? Well, I don't know. It's probably going to have to be Brandon Lau or mm-hmm. you could tell Marte. Guys who probably aren't going to be great. I mean, they might be good. So it's just, it is a shallow position. And if you draft a bust, it's, it's really it could kill you. So ADP, here we go. Oh, uh, real quick. Any prospects, Scott? Well, Nick Senzel and Brandon Lau both technically still qualify as prospects. So they would be. They would be the main two. Uh, Luis Arias, too, who we haven't talked about except in regards to Man- with regard to Manny Machado. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, he looks like he has an everyday job to begin the season. Really good contact hitter. Not sure the power is going to measure up in today's game. Not enough for fantasy. But it could be a situation like Albies and um, Glaber Torres where the bat skills end up leading to more power than expected once he gets a reasonable amount of playing time in the majors. Um, Hampson still, you know, a lot of these guys we already talked about. Hampson still qualifies as a prospect. Uh, let me see okay. if there's anybody else who could play this year. Clack, clack, clacking away um, on the keyboard. Dick Madrigal, uh, early draft pick of the White Sox last year. I th- it's unlikely we see him this year, but he has an interesting contact profile and uh, is their second baseman of the future. Okay, now ADP. And, yeah, we did the show. A oh, little oh bit. I'm sorry. I missed. I overlooked a guy, a big one. Keston Hira of the Brewers, uh, who I think people were expecting to take over pretty early before they signed Mike Boustakis. Now, you know, he's going to have to really hit to force his way into the majors, but it could happen midseason. And he has, uh, you know, it, it's better for hit than power. It's, it's better hit tool than a power tool, but he has some of both and could end up being a very productive player at second base. Got to have power tools. Very useful around the house, Scott White. Now let's talk ADP. Um, Altuve 13th we love. Baez 16th we hate. Whit Merrifield round three. Sounds about right. You can expect good batting average. And steals. I I don't know what it's going to mean, but Merrifield could bat like third in this lineup. And he did not run quite as much last year when he was batting uh, in the middle of the order. I can try to get the numbers for you. Uh, 2018, he stole 39 bases in 112 games, batting leadoff, six bases in 46 other games. So I don't know. He he had 45 steals last year. Did he lead baseball or the American League in steals? He led all of baseball okay. in stolen bases in what was a sad year for stolen yeah, bases. And nobody getting yikes. even 50. Yeah. And he's 30 years old, but... He's had two good years in a row. Um, now, now, did you see he's going to bat third somewhere, or is that just kind of your... I, I think Roster Resource has him at third, but they they do their best. They they obviously can't predict the future. Because yeah. I don't think Hamilton... I, I assume Hamilton's going to bat what, ninth. Yes. Uh, so... Mondes, I'll, I'll pull it up right now. Um, yeah, it takes, takes a long time to load, by the way. 
Rosterresource.com. Come on, buddy. Come on. Give me what you got. After Whit Merrifield is Albies and Torres in round five. And Torres too early in round five. Albies in round five, is that okay with you? Top 60 pick? Uh, it's probably not where I'm going to be looking in round five, knowing where Scooter Jeanette tends to go off the board. I mean, I have Albies in the same tier with Merrifield, Jeanette, and Murphy. So, no. I'm probably... Following the tiers approach, probably not going to happen where I take Albies. I will make sure. I am, think I'm going to have six leagues this year like I did last year, and I would like to have Albies on like two, two teams, even if I have to reach a little bit. Uh, maybe I'm just high on him. I don't know. But I feel like he's been a good player, like a very good player in both of his seasons. So I, I have confidence in him. Um, roster Resources has Mondesi, Alex Gordon, Whit Merrifield. But Alex Gordon's a terrible player, so I'm going to go ahead and say he won't be batting second this year. Uh, all right, after round five, Albies and Torres, we have, I think, a great stretch of second basemen. At least, let's say, five of these six. Jeanette, Murphy, Shaw, Gordon, VR, Cano. Jeanette, Murphy, Shaw, Gordon, VR, Cano. I, I think that's a really strong stretch and maybe the best place to target second base. Scott, what do you think? Jeanette, Murphy, Shaw, Gordon, VR, Cano. Yeah. That's round eight, mostly yeah, eight, nine, and then Cano falls to round 11. I mean, like I said, I, I tier Jeanette higher than the rest, so he's probably the one I would end up with that, end up with from that group. I think Gordon and VR are much more interesting in Roto than points. Cano, sure. um, you know, probably the opposite, but I'd be happier with Cano in a Roto league than I would with Gordon or VR in points. You like Jeanette more than Murphy? Yeah, I do. Uh, Murphy has more upside, but there's obviously a lot more downside, too, given his age and the health risks. Jeanette, I don't really have any concerns about. I mean, he played through a shoulder issue last year, but successfully, I would say. There were rough stretches, but the final numbers were really good. Shaw's interesting because Shaw has had spurts of greatness. In fact, 2017, he had about four months of greatness. And it looked like the move to Miller Park, being an everyday player, really helped. And then he like fou- he fouled the ball off his foot multiple times, I believe, in August. And he, you know, LOL, limped to the finish line. And his, his numbers weren't so great. And then last year he struggled against lefties. But again, like that's not always the case with Shaw. I, I also see a lot of upside there with Travis Shaw. But, of course, there could be playing time issues too, Scott. What do you think about Shaw? He is the eighth second baseman off the board right before Gordon, VR, and Cano. I don't want him as my second baseman, to be honest. I don't mind drafting him as like a utility option. Uh, if if he if he slides a little bit beyond this point, and you know, let's say I get a Daniel Murphy at second base, a Justin Turner at third, uh, having Shaw there who could play either in place of those old guys if need be is is nice luxury to have. But yeah, I'm I'm concerned about the playing time. I'm concerned with how committed the Brewers are to him. It does sound like they're pretty committed. The fact that they're trying Moustakas at second base instead of just sticking Shaw back there where he was only able to start like two-thirds of the time last September because of defensive limitations. That's encouraging. But it doesn't change the fact that when both of those players were on the roster last September, Shaw was less than an everyday player. And that's still concerning. All right, then we have Gordon in VR. Man, I prefer Gordon so much to VR. Um, <laughs> they're going five picks apart. Do you agree? Real quick, you're not really you're not really feeling it with D Gordon. No, maybe it is as simple as the injury, like you said. But I just i i i hate i i hate having to sell out for steals to the point of sacrificing power like that i would take gordon ahead of vr i ended up with both in that 15 team mock draft we did and i took gordon a few rounds ahead of vr um but i don't i i don't love either to be honest robinson cano we said good fallback option 11th second baseman off the board he will give you possibly no steals so keep that in mind but he'll you know he's he's good all around and Better in points leagues. Jerks and Profar, 12th. Eligible like everywhere. Scott likes Profar a lot. There will be some disagreement on this podcast when Heath and Chris are back about Profar. 
Uh, and then 13 and beyond, Brian Dozier. This is second baseman 13 and beyond. Actually, we're still in round 12. Brian Dozier, Rugnet Odor, Yoan Moncada, Cesar Hernandez, Jonathan Scope. That's the next group, and that spans rounds 12 through 16. Dozier, Odor, then a little gap, then Moncada, then Cesar Hernandez and Jonathan Scope. Some interesting players, certainly. Moncada um, is the only one in that group that's never really done anything for fantasy. Again, it's Dozier, Odor, Moncada, Cesar, Hernandez, um, and Jonathan Scope. Yeah, and I see some people still excited to draft Moncada, especially in Roto Leagues, because they're, in theory, is a nice power-speed combination there. But the guy had a 344 Babbitt last year and hit 235. Like he either needs to cut way down on the strikeouts or hit a lot more balls over the fence. Maybe it'll happen someday, but he's in his current state, he looks pretty close to useless to me. And um, I'm not willing to pay the price in the hopes that he becomes useful. Yeah, and he has 15 steals in 211 games in his career. 12 last year in 149 games, and he cannot hit righties. Good against lefties. Moncada, that is. Can't hit righties. So out of Dozier, Odor, Cesar Hernandez, and Scope, who are your two favorites? My favorites are Dozier and Rugnet Odor. Uh, though Scope has Scope has a fair amount of bounce-back potential, too. We kind of write him off because we were... You know, he was he was a pretty popular bust pick last year and obviously was a bust, but a much bigger bust than I think even the biggest pessimists were calling for. And I saw something from our old friend, Dr. Mike Tanner. <laughs> uh, he made a case for how an oblique injury probably had a lot to do with Scope's demise last year. So there's a good chance he bounces back and becomes a starting caliber player again. Right. I'm not sure we're ever going to see him be top four like he was in 2017, but 2016, he batted 267 with 25 home runs in 162 games, and he was the number 13 second baseman in both points in Roto. Yeah. I think him and Odor are very similar in terms of strengths and weaknesses. And, and that's the kind of guy, Scope is the kind of guy that's probably not getting drafted in any league where you don't have to start a middle infielder. And you could pick him up if your second baseman gets injured. If your second baseman is struggling, he could be available on waivers. Hernandez we talked about. Um, and then, uh, all right, after this, well, for, okay, between Dozier and Odor, who's more likely to have a great season? Dozier. I'm, I'm not confident anymore Odor will ever have a great season. I think he'll be... A uh, pretty reliable source of home runs for the position, but I think the the shortcomings are too pronounced for him to be, you know, top five. Uh, a guy we think of as a stud second baseman. Uh, he was 12th in Roto last year, 18th in points, and he only played 129 games, and he's a streaky, streaky guy for sure, Ruben Edwador. All right, we, uh, we're we going overtime, obviously. We spent about seven minutes on Machado and Carlos Martinez, so we're going to bump up this, this podcast a little bit, a little longer. Um, I'm just going to give you the rest of the names, and you tell me basically if you're interested in drafting them. DJ LeMahieu. I am not interested in drafting him in a standard mixed league, though based on the way Aaron Boone has talked about using him, uh... In, in deeper leagues, he might he might deserve more attention than he's getting. It sounds like he's going to play close to every day, just kind of um, yeah. all over, like yeah. moving guys all around. Yeah, except, I mean, out of course field, he's pretty lousy hitter, doesn't steal bases right. anymore. I don't think it'll translate. Like I don't think he's suffering his terrible, road numbers. Right. Yeah, right. But right. yeah, he's not going to be as, uh, he's not going to be a reliable, like he'll probably hit 290, I think, but not. You know, batting title contender. Chris Taylor. I don't really want him at all. I, I think there are too many playing time concerns, too many. Uh, the Dodgers are too motivated to platoon, and he often ends up on the wrong side of that. Uh, Willie Adamas. No, I don't want him either. Uh, 
the numbers just don't add up for me. Had a ridiculous BABIP the final couple months of the season, and the power doesn't make a lot of sense considering how low his fly ball rate was. Well, it's Willie Adamas. Lord Escuriel Jr. So apparently he's fighting for playing time, and he might wind up in a super utility role like LeMahieu where he's playing a lot even without a job to call his own, but they, they brought in Freddie Galfi's, uh shortstop is where Gurriel is competing. He's kind of interesting in that I think he could be a good source of batting average. He uh, doesn't strike out a ton, has a good line drive rate, but I'm not sure the power... I'm I'm not sure the power is quite enough for a player who doesn't walk at all. Joey Wendell. That's a deeper league option. Seems like the Rays want him at second base pretty much every day. And T's a, a competent enough hitter, but doesn't really stand out anywhere. Marwin Gonzalez. We got to see where he lands, right? Yes. Right now, my presumption is he's not going to be a starter. Nico Goodrum. Could win the Tigers' starting second base job, but there's not, there's not a lot to like there. And it's it's just because of a lack of alternatives. Eduardo Nunez and Dustin Pedroia, for that matter. Uh, Well, Dustin Pedroia, I, I think, is healthy going into the season. At his age and with his past, probably going to need a lot of time off. But he's the preferred option of the two if it's a deep points league. He's, he got, he'll get hurt. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Of course he'll get Maybe. hurt. I mean, Nunez is a, is a pretty deep sleeper. He had a crappy year last year, but there is such an obvious path for him to play second base every day, and that is when Pedroia clearly will certainly I mean, he had, he had a knee injury that led to surgery, right? That was the problem. It was knee, I think. For who? Before for then, it's not like he was known as this guy that was always banged up. Oh, yeah, he was. Pedroia? I guess he played through a couple injuries. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I okay. guess so. Maybe, maybe you're right. But he, he's still hurt. great play discipline, still a good... Yeah. Should hit for a high average if he's healthy. Right, I actually think he'll be okay when he plays. But no, won't hit for a lot of power. All right, that's it. Um, So the other guys that we like, you know, probably better are Jed Lowry, Cattell Marte, uh, Garrett Hampson when he gets eligibility... Some of the other guys Scott talked about Brandon Lau. So we mentioned some late round picks um also you know earlier in the show that might be better than, you know, Joey Wendell and Lourdes Gorilla Jr. Guys who were going ahead of them, Willie Adamas. Um so yeah, so so you got that. Thank you for listening to this very long edition of the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast. Uh, I know we needed to get to Machado and I hope this was helpful. We'll have short stops on Friday when Heath is back in town. And tomorrow, uh, I think we'll talk about some late-round picks and some deep-league drafting because I had a good time with that 15-team uh, ro- roto draft that we did You were the only I enjoyed it. I had fun. It was, it was a long one, but, you know, it was fun. Thanks for listening, everybody. That's Second Base, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.